Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. President Trump today denying that his racist tweets were racist. The lead starts right now. Can't stop, won't stop. President Trump continuing to say Democratic Congresswomen of color should go back where they came from, even though three of the four he seems to be targeting are from the U.S. and all four are American citizens. The latest on yet another standard of basic decency in American values shattered. Also, GOP MIA, if you're looking for Republicans to condemn these hateful tweets, you're not going to find a lot of takers. 2020 Democratic candidate Cory Booker will react this hour. Plus, a shocking and upsetting murder mystery. The founder of an African-American history museum found dead in the trunk of a car. What the autopsy results reveal. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We begin with the politics lead. Today, President Trump is not backing away from his stunningly racist attack on a group of minority members of Congress. Instead, he's trying to defend it, denying it was racist and spewing even more divisiveness. Uh, These are people that, in my opinion, hate our country. All I'm saying that if they're not happy here, they can leave. They can leave. And you know what? I'm 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 sure sure that there'll be many people that won't miss them. Yesterday, Mr. Trump tweeted that progressive Democratic congresswoman who, quote, originally came from countries whose governments are a complete and total catastrophe, unquote, should, quote, go back and help fix the totally broken and crime-infested places from which they came, then come back and show us how it's done. These places need your help badly. You can't leave fast enough, unquote. President Trump seemed to be referencing Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Tlaib, and Ayanna Presley, who were born in New York City, Detroit, and Cincinnati, respectively, as well as Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, who came to the U.S. as a child, a refugee from Somalia. She's been a U.S. citizen since she was a teenager, longer than the First Lady. We are expecting to hear from those four members of Congress soon, as some Republicans now a day later are beginning to condemn the racist tweets. Many have stayed silent or even tried to play dumb, as demonstrated by acting U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services Director Ken Cuccinelli. What did you think of that tweet? Uh, Well, I didn't see that tweet, actually. Uh, I can hear what you're reading. Did did my colleague Jake Tapper read you that tweet yesterday? Yes, he did. So you have heard this tweet before and you have had 24 hours to process it. So what? So what? That's one approach, I guess. Another approach has been to say the president was only giving voice to frustrations with sentiments that the four congresswomen, perhaps especially Congresswoman Omar, have expressed. The idea, I suppose, being that Congresswoman Omar has said things that people find offensive, even occasionally bigoted. Therefore, it's okay to be bigoted to her. Here's Vice Presidential Chief of Staff Mark Short. I don't think that the president's uh, intent in any way is racist. I think he's trying to point out the fact that that since elected, it's hard to find anything Ilhan Omar said that actually is supportive of the United States of America. So anti-American sentiment in this view justifies racism. It, of course, does not in any decent 
or civilized world, but a world in which religious and racial and nationalistic hatred is out in the open, well, it's certainly acceptable there. In fact, the president was asked today if it bothered him that white supremacists had found common cause in his go back where you came from tweets. Here's the president's response. It doesn't concern me because many people agree with me. Right. And some of those people are white supremacists and they think a lot of us should go back where we came from, me and him and him and her, even if we ourselves came from the United States of America. Now, this isn't new. You can find, and I did, in a a Kansas newspaper from the 1800s, evidence of a local demagogue telling a Swedish American who had expressed concern about the then current state of affairs to go back to where he came from. Now, the Kansas journalist who wrote this up mocked this, quote, debasing insult. Again, this is in the 19th century questioning whether not only those with heritage in Sweden, but those with heritage in Germany or Ireland or Norway should go back where they came from. Of course, they shouldn't, and thank God they didn't. But in Manhattan, Kansas, in August 1892, they knew better. CNN's Caitlin Collins has more now from the White House. If you're not happy in the U.S., if you're complaining all the time, very simply, you can leave. You can leave right now. President Trump says he has no regrets about his racist attacks on Democratic lawmakers, who were all women of color. All I'm saying that if they're not happy here, they can leave. They can leave. Instead of walking back his remarks, today Trump defended telling four Democratic congresswomen to go back where they came from. It doesn't say leave forever. It says leave if you want. Where they came from is the United States. Three of them were born here, and the fourth is now a U.S. citizen who arrived as a child and refugee, facts the president ignored today. These are people that hate our country. Hey, John, they hate our country. They hate it, I think, with a passion. Trump claims he's not being racist. Do you think the tweets were racist? Not at all, no. But when asked about white nationalist groups that have identified with his remarks, the president responded with this. It doesn't concern me. Because many people agree with me. Instead, Trump attempted to employ a tactic he's used before, accusing his opponents of what they've accused him of. Speaker Pelosi said, make America white again. Let me tell you, that's a very racist, that's a very racist statement. But Pelosi said the president was the one pushing to make America white again, not her. Trump, who often airs his own grievances on Twitter, claimed the lawmakers should leave because... All they do is complain. A source telling CNN it was the president's idea to address the attacks, as his own cabinet members struggled to defend his remarks. I don't find them racist. I understand what the president's comment is. I'm not concerned by the president's comment. Few Republican lawmakers have been willing to condemn Trump's comments, and some spent the day avoiding the issue altogether. I hadn't read that, but I'll go check it out. Now, Jake, a White House official told me it was the president's idea to address his remarks while he was speaking with reporters today. And now pictures captured from at that event by White House photographers show just how pre-planned the president's remarks are. You can see bullet points of what exactly it was that the president then went on to tell reporters. And you can see edits made by the president in his classic use of a Sharpie there on the paper. All right, Kaylin Collins, thanks so much. Uh, let's chew over all of this uh, with uh, my gang here. Uh, Sung Min, you tweeted uh, that every Asian American you know has been told to go back where you came from. Wow. 
Yeah, I mean, it's something that I and my friends and colleagues have heard often. Where it's you know, you know, go back where you came from. And just for the record, really where do you where do you come from? You come, do you come from Iowa? <laughs> I grew up in Iowa. Yeah, you know, whatnot. <laughs> um, but it's just, I mean, that's why these comments from the president are are incredibly stunning. But also stunning to me for the last couple of days is just the the lack of response from Republican lawmakers until we, the public and the press, started to have to kind of push them into an answer by reaching out to their offices or going uh, after Republican lawmakers in the hallways of the Capitol. Um, There does seem to be some sort of a numbness, um, for lack of a better description, from Republicans about what the president is saying right now. And I assume that we'll hear more from the lawmakers um, later tonight and perhaps tomorrow. Mitch McConnell has indicated that he would comment on it tomorrow afternoon, but it is still kind of shocking nonetheless how everything has unfolded. And just for the record, again, three of the four are from the United States. Not that it matters, by the way. If all four were from another country, you still don't do it. Have you ever been told? Go- oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a common uh, refrain for white supremacists to actually say go back to Africa. African-Americans all over the country, particularly those who live in diverse contexts, have been told that. And I've been told that in my history. Uh, and I think it's important to understand what the president is doing, though. Uh, not is it just, you know, raw meat for his base. Uh, Not is it just political opportunism in terms of driving a wedge in terms of the Democratic coalition, Uh, but it's also um, reinforcing this notion that the only legitimate Americans are white Americans. And what that does is two things. It stokes this notion that our diverse democracy and the the, the gains of the civil rights era uh, are are illegitimate and, and of course, emboldens those who want to go back Uh, to the 1950s era where everybody else was uh, marginalized. But it's also endangering approximately 40% of our nation's population because hate crimes have been going up dramatically in our country. Uh, And when the president of the United States basically makes the claim uh, that people of color are not legitimate Americans, then it emboldens those people who want to do harm uh, to people of color who are Americans uh, to basically give them license to do so. And we've seen that. We've seen evidence of that happening. Uh, Jackie, uh, Peter Baker's lead in the New York Times was, quote, President Trump woke up on Sunday morning, gazed out at the nation he leads, saw the dry kindling of race relations and decided to throw a match on it. It was not the first time, nor is it likely to be the last. He has a pretty large carton of matches and a ready supply of kerosene. It's a very apt way of saying what happened. Uh, the president's me- me- message of us against them, us being you know, the people he, he uh, represents to the fullest, uh, the, the resentment of, of immigrants, of African-Americans, of people that are not white. Uh, that, that, that's who he's talking to. And he, it's something that we're going to hear and we continue to hear over and over and over again, um, particularly because the president's campaigning right now. It's not so much governing as much as he's pushing agenda items and policies meant to uh, make the base come out and not necessarily even to become law. It's, it, it is about his reelection. Campaign. But does this help him, Bill? I mean, do you really think I understand the idea of wedge issues that 50 percent of the country hates and 50 percent of the country loves? I mean, those exist in uh, immigration is not particularly one of them, actually, according to polling. But I, I can understand why going after the Pledge of Allegiance of the American flag, things like that work. But just being nakedly racist, who, who does that help? 
One would hope it hurts him. I mean, it's disgusting what he said and really deplorable that Republican uh, con members of Congress have been silent almost until this afternoon. A little a bit, a few, finally. It took them quite a while. They didn't do what I think one would have done. A fellow member of Congress being attacked in this way, leave aside, I mean, it's bad enough when he attacks just random other Americans. Usually you'd have a kind of in instinct to defend them and say that's inappropriate. But look, it wasn't simply, I think Peter Baker's leads a little, I mean, it's fine, it was a little misleading in the sense it wasn't just racism. It was, there was a red, there, he thought, I think Trump thinks he's being clever. And I hope he's not, but, you know, he, and the reason is Nancy Pelosi was in a fight with AOC and Ilhan Omar and the rest of them. Yeah. And they are a face of the Democrat, they are to the left of most of the Democratic Party and probably scare some swing voters if, the, if swing voters can't be persuaded that that is the Democratic Party. That's what he's doing. I mean, he is a racist or he's at least willing to very recklessly and irresponsibly play the card of racism. He certainly has no uh, compunctions about that. Um, I don't know that he's an old-fashioned Southern racist who wakes up in the morning hating or despising but, or having contempt for African-Americans. I think he just yeah. is totally unembarrassed by playing that card. But he thinks he's being clever politically. This has now got Making the AOC... The surround, uh, surround and, and, and uh, just embrace these right. four people. Right. I, mean, I, hope, he's wrong. Said I hope he's wrong, but, but that's what he's trying. I mean, he's even complicating it even further by bringing in anti-Semitism or and the whole notion that uh, religion how somehow plays into this. Uh, he's really trying to actually burst apart uh, the Democratic coalition uh, in anticipation of 2020. Uh, that being said, we've got to realize that actually he's a part of, and his family has been historically racist. Uh, if you look at the, uh, the example of his father and what they did with housing in, in New York City, there is a track record there where you actually have to believe that the core of Donald J. Trump uh, is racist. Uh, and the fact and his that father was sued for discriminating in housing in the, in the 1970s. And the yeah. fact that he hired uh, people in the White House who have had uh, white uh, supremacist sympathies, uh, who have been out there actually um, stoking uh, the white supremacist base, not only here in America, but also in Western Europe, mm -hmm. uh, should not be ignored. There is a larger paradigm at play here, a larger strategy, and that is to, you know, basically... Um, that basically embrace, you know, this whole notion of the Aryan supremacy uh, that we've seen throughout Western history, but we're now seeing uh, implemented by one of the two major political parties in the United States right here, right now. All right. Uh, and of course, we welcome a Republican to come on the show and talk about this issue. Uh, we have, I mean, we have a Republican, but a Republican office holder. Uh, we have not uh, had many luck of booking any. Uh, coming up next, everyone stick around. A reaction to the president's uh, racist remarks from 2020 presidential candidate, uh, Senator Cory Booker, plus the new rule from the Trump administration, making it a lot harder for people to seek asylum here in the U.S. Stay with us. In our politics lead, a slow molasses-like trickle of criticism coming from House and Senate Republicans after President Trump told progressive Democratic Congresswomen, all American citizens, all of color, to go back to their, quote, crime-infested home countries with corrupt governments. Of course, their home country is the United States, Mr. President. We expect to hear soon from the four Democratic congresswomen at the center of this controversy, CNN's Phil Mattingly's on Capitol Hill. And Phil, the, the, the bigotry inherent in the expression, go back where you came from, it, it's pretty clear, it's pretty ugly. You might think this would be an easy thing for Republican officeholders to condemn. 
Yeah, and yet, Jake, throughout the course of yesterday and actually through the first half of today, you didn't hear much at all. That started to shift after the president's press conference where he tripled or quadrupled down on his statements. And you started to see at least a slow stream of statements coming out from Republican lawmakers. Not a lot of Republican lawmakers right now, about a dozen to 15 lawmakers calling it divisive, saying it was wrong, saying it was the, the, a bad approach, if you will. You also, at least to this point, however, have not heard from any of the top members of House or Senate Republican leadership. I just spoke to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell a short while ago. He said he would address it tomorrow in his weekly press conference. We did hear from Senator Roy Blunt, a member of Senate leadership, who said, quote, in a statement, just because the so-called squad constantly insults and attacks the president isn't a reason to adopt their unacceptable tactics. Now, the backstory, to the extent there is one right now, uh, Jake, at least from what I've been told, is there's been no messaging guidance sent out to rank and file Republican members. And they are doing what we've seen repeatedly over the course of the last several years, the delicate dance of trying not to do something that will upset the president, but still try and weigh in if they can. That doesn't always work particularly well, particularly in a situation like this. One lawmaker, however, was not waiting and did not hedge his words at all. That was Republican Congressman from Texas, Will Hurd. Take a listen. The, the tweets are, are racist and xenophobic. Um, they're also inaccurate. It's behavior that's unbecoming of a president of the United States and a leader of the free world. We now, Jake, very few following that lead, and I will tell you, I've had several Republican aides and a few Republican lawmakers say they're willing to talk on background about their true feelings about this, but the reality is on something like this, if you're not willing to put your name on it, to be frank, there's no reason for us to broadcast it, in my view. Jake? Profiles and Courage on Capitol Hill. Phil Mattingly, thanks so much. Joining me now on the phone is New Jersey Democratic Senator and 2020 presidential candidate Cory Booker. Senator Booker, thanks so much for joining us. I know you're running around Iowa. It's tough to get you on the phone, so I appreciate it. The president denied his attack was racist. Take a listen to what he had to say. And all I'm saying that if they're not happy here, they can leave. They can leave. And you know what? I'm, I'm sure that there'll be many people that won't miss them. What's your reaction to that? My, my reaction is that this is clearly bigoted, vile, um, uh, dangerous language. This is a president is trafficking in the same kind of uh, uh, toxic tropes that white supremacists use on their platforms. What they proffer to try to not just divide this country, but attack Americans. I, I never imagined that I would hear language like this coming from a president of the United States endangering, frankly, if you look at the kind of white supremacist violent attack that we've seen uh, in this country, he is literally uh, fanning the flames of racial violence. And, and to me, this is outrageous and unacceptable, and it is driving deep heart and divisions in our country. Uh, the president should be a uniter, should bring our country together, should remind us the lines that divide us are not as strong as the ties that bind us. And dear God, he is ripping at the fabric of our country for his own political gain and proffering uh, a brand of racism uh, that, that we should hope uh, this will be the last time we ever hear that uh, kind of language from a United States president. Well, that's interesting that you mentioned that he's doing it for his own political gain because the president continued his attacks today on Twitter. He wrote, quote, if Democrats want to unite around the foul language and racist hatred spewed from the mouths and actions of these very unpopular and unrepresentative congresswomen, it will be interesting to see how it plays out, unquote. Do you think that the president going after these women in such a nakedly racist way uh, might be effective for the president in rallying his base and, and uh, getting reelected? No, no. 
I, I have faith in this nation. I have faith in who we are. Uh, I just believe that this is not only going to be a, a strategy that leads to his political demise, but it's going to rise up the conscience of this country to fight him and these sentiments in our country. This is a time where Americans, it turns their stomach. I know this. I know this from, from Republicans. This is, this is vile, vile uh, trafficking and hatred and bigotry and divisiveness, and it will not work. We've had it before in our country. We've seen it from the Know Nothing Party against Irish and Italians. We've seen it from national radio hosts like Father Conklin and their anti-Semitic screeds. We've seen this brand of demagoguery and hatred before, and they have always been taken down, not by any individual party, but by the good conscience of Americans that rose up and said, we are better than this. This is not who we are. We are a nation that was called to put indivisible, more indivisible into a one nation that's it's under God. Well, let me, let me ask you, put aside for a second, if you can, the president's racist attack on these congresswomen and his record on these issues. Um, Democrats have found issues with things that Congresswoman Omar and Congresswoman Tlaib have said. Uh, some of your uh, supporters uh, have said that, that they've made bigoted uh, comments, um, certainly anti-Semitic. What do you say to a voter who says, hey, you know what, Senator Booker, I am so offended by what, by what President Trump said, but I've also been offended by things I've heard from Democrats like Omar and Tlaib. I'm offended by things I've heard from Farrakhan, who a lot of Democrats are friendly with. What do you have to say about that? I, I actually don't agree with what you said. And, and I disagree with what Omar said. I found it problematic. And I still remember her actually reflecting upon it and apologizing. So this, 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 to even create an equivalency between what the President of the United States is saying, the, the vileness that, 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 that of what she speaks, the unrelenting attacks. They're not just attacks on those four women. When he says, go back to where you came from, it is attacks on, on, on all who are here uh, uh, of ethnic descent. All, not just black folks or Latino folks. I'm talking about immigrants, Irish, people whose family came through Ellis Island. What the hell is he talking about? This is vile. This is racist. This is not. You can't make it an equivalency uh, um, in any way to to, to uh, or what they have said. And he's doing it from the White House. He's doing it from the highest office in the land. What, what I know this country yearns for is its its president should be someone that should not get into the gutter with white supremacists using their language, using their tactics. They should be rising up to call us to come together at a time where we still have difficult racial issues, at a time that you see uh, a, a, a lot of problems that need to be healed and addressed. He is failing miserably. Senator Cory Booker, thank you so much for your time. Good luck out there on the campaign trail. Stay safe. Thank you. Today, President Trump called the deportation raids that he warned about a success. But administration officials are having a hard time showing any proof. That's next. Our national lead now, a new immigration crackdown from President Trump. Starting tomorrow, because of a new federal rule, immigrants will no longer be able to seek asylum in the U.S. if they didn't apply for protections on their way to the U.S. For example, someone from Guatemala traveling through Mexico must seek asylum in Mexico first before applying for it in the U.S. As CNN's Ed Lavendera now reports, this new rule comes as the widespread multi-city ICE raids on undocumented immigrants that President Trump warned which start yesterday, largely don't seem to have happened. 
The ICE raids were very successful. Today, President Trump pounced on skepticism that his long-promised immigration raids have stalled. Many, many were taken out on Sunday. You just didn't know about it. Plans to deport thousands of undocumented immigrants across 10 U.S. cities did begin on Saturday, according to a senior immigration official, and they will continue in the coming days. This despite difficulty locating those who may have relocated after warnings from the administration itself. People will be separated from this country who our courts have ordered to be deported. According to immigration advocates, the administration's televised threats caused millions to take precautions, skipping work, stocking up on food and staying indoors for fear of being deported. Now we're being very cautious. We're staying at home with the doors locked. For now, few raids have been widely reported, and this morning, even Trump's acting director of U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services claimed not to have all the information. Is it really happening? Uh, well, when ICE is ready to do it, and, and maybe it's already begun, then uh, they'll execute on it. So, Jake, uh, many communities, immigrant communities across the country waiting to see how all of this is going to continue to develop over the next few days. Uh, and that asylum rule change that you mentioned off the top, Jake, very significant, significant, especially when you consider how many thousands of people, uh, Central Americans and Cubans, who are waiting in border towns along the U.S. southern border as part of that remain in Mexico policy as they wait their turn to request asylum in the United States. So a lot of those people who have been waiting for months are left in limbo in all of this. Jake? All right, Ed Levendera, thanks so much. Today, Joe Biden is out with his version of a health care plan, a nod to Obamacare that one opponent is already picking apart by using President Obama's own words. Stay with us. And in our 2020 lead today, Democratic presidential hopefuls are taking aim at Joe Biden after he unveiled his health care plan and attacked their plans in the process. Biden attaching himself further to his former boss with a proposal to expand Obamacare today and add a public option that Americans could buy into. CNN's Arlette Signs now takes a closer look at what Biden's plan might mean for your health care and how it's drawing a dividing line in the 2020 race. Joe Biden ramping up the 2020 battle over health care, unveiling his own proposal and taking on Medicare for all. I understand the appeal of Medicare for all. But folks supporting it should be clear that it means getting rid of Obamacare. At the center of his plan, building on the Obama administration's signature health care initiative, the Affordable Care Act. <laughs> Biden's proposal creates a public option, allowing people to buy into a Medicare-like program. The plan also provides massive subsidies to make coverage through Obamacare cheaper for everyone, regardless of income. The 10-year price tag for this plan comes in at $750 billion. As many Democratic voters cite health care as a top issue, Biden has escalated his pushback on some of his rivals backing a single-payer system. We should not be starting from scratch. We should be building from what we have. The former vice president even highlighting one area where he differed from Kamala Harris and Bernie Sanders at the recent debate. The question was asked whether we support eliminating private health insurance. Some said yes. I said absolutely not. A recent CNN poll found while 85 percent of Democrats favor a national health insurance plan, only 30 percent back scrapping private insurance. 
While Biden brands himself as the protector of Obamacare, Sanders is defending his Medicare for All plan, tweeting, I appreciate that President Obama has said recently that Medicare for All is a good idea, referencing this comment from September of last year. Democrats aren't just running on good old ideas like a higher minimum wage. They're running on good new ideas like Medicare for All. And we'll be hearing a lot more about health care soon. Kamala Harris has teased a policy proposal. And Bernie Sanders on Wednesday will be making his case for Medicare for All. These candidates drawing their battle lines ahead of the next debate just over two weeks away. Jake. All right, Simon, thanks so much. Uh, let's uh, chew over all this. My, you're chair of the Democratic Party in Maryland. Uh, you have not endorsed any, any candidate. I have not. What do you think of uh, the Joe Biden approach to this? He's basically saying, no, I don't want Medicare for All. Polls say 30 percent of Democrats uh, might uh, might actually support scrapping a private insurance, uh, but no, but 70 percent don't. So this is about the politics of incrementalism versus, you know, going wholeheartedly at the, the issue. And what they're arguing about is whether or not to embrace a social insurance system uh, where the, the cost of administering health care to people across America uh, can be done effectively and efficiently at low cost, uh, or allowing the role of private companies, uh, profit-making companies, to continue uh, at the expense of full coverage for Americans. Uh, and so the question becomes one of, you know, what position do you take? Historically, we, when the market has failed, and when it comes to health care, the market has failed, mm-hmm. uh, we have, in, at times in our history, like the creation of Social Security, uh, embraced social insurance as a strategy and Medicare as a strategy because at one time in our history, uh, companies weren't providing insurance to older Americans. Right. So what we have now is the, the debate is happening here and now. Are you an incrementalist? If so, you go with Joe Biden. Uh, if you believe that people should have health care now and that we should do it the most effectively and efficiently, then you've got options with Senator Warren. You've got options with uh, Bernie uh, Sanders, with Kamala Bernie Harris, Sanders. et cetera. Mm-hmm. What do you make of this debate? Well, I just find it fascinating because the public option uh, proposal, the, which is the centerpiece of uh, the vice, former vice president's plan, I mean, that was considered too liberal back 10 years ago in 2009 when right. Congress was engulfed in the Obamacare debate. I mean, there were there were not 60 votes in the Senate. You had conservative Democrats such as Joe Lieberman, Blanche Lincoln, Ben Nelson saying they can't go for a public option. And now the debate has shifted so far that now that is considered the, the conservative, conservative option. Right. And you look at, um, you see why, just aside from the policy, why Biden is doing this. I mean, he leads Trump still in head-to-head matchups. A lot of that strength comes from his strength with independent and moderate voters, and policy positions like that help uh, reinforce that. Well, and moderate Democrats I've spoken to, um, just since the Medicare for All debate kind of kicked up again, are scratching their heads, particularly those who went through the ACA fight, saying that you know, a lot of the Democrats that are pushing this didn't go through that, particularly the younger ones in the House. And they don't know how much it takes even to get an incremental step through the Congress. Um, and they're also pointing back to 2018, where they just, uh, several of them, won their seats because of the ACA, because of the pitch to protect the health care system that is here right now. And they're worried um, if this if this continues um, to go forward. And, and uh, Senator Mike Bennett, uh, who's also running for president, he's from Colorado, uh, more of a moderate. He says that if the Democratic nominee uh, embraces Medicare for all, then Colorado, for the first time in, in more than a decade, will go to the Republicans. That's his warning. I mean, I, yeah, I think it's safer not to be for scrapping private insurance as a political matter and personally as a policy matter. But you know what struck me? If I were Joe Biden, I mean, they had this plan and they have a lot of invest. You know, you plan these rollouts, it's hard to change. Donald Trump said something really repulsive and objectionable. 
yesterday. Republicans have not uh, risen to denounce him, unfortunately. But what is Joe Biden's selling point? A, he can beat Trump, and B, he could unite the country against Trump. I mean, he can win Republicans and independents. Why didn't he say, you know what, I'll announce my Medicare plan next week. I want to give a speech now about what this country stands for. I'm going to have my African-American supporters with me. I might have a couple of Republicans I've worked with in the past with me, even if they're not supporting me. And I, I mean, it would have been a dramatic moment, I think, for Biden. And he did a kind of prosaic, you know, here's my Medicare plan as opposed to or my health care plan as opposed to the left wing health care plan. No, you're shaking your head. You disagree. <laughs> so, in 2016, uh, Donald Trump was out there saying, well, nobody would be dying in the streets, you know, with my approach to health care in this country. And then he, along with the Republicans, proceeded to uh, not only uh, undermine the Affordable Care Act and, and, and threaten to take millions off the rolls, including those with pre-existing conditions, then they launched a lawsuit to invalidate the whole law. And so they have no interest, and they have proposed no alternative. And so they have no interest uh, in making sure that people have access to life-saving health care in this country. And you got to wonder how he can absolutely re win re-election uh, with a strategy that has nothing to undergird it. Well, you know, she was just staying on message and not really talking about what you talked about. But, I, but one of the arguments well, might I mean that, that, that might, let me interpret that, is yeah. that by staying on message and talking about health care instead of talking about President Trump's tweets, Democrats won back the House last November. That... Uh, Channeling back. Maya here. Maybe, right. maybe that's what she that's means. That's the Democratic <laughs> conceit. The real reason the Democrats won back the House is swing voters desperately wanted one body of uh, Congress to check Donald Trump. I don't believe voters suddenly decided, hey, all those Democratic ideas uh, that I haven't voted for in the past in Northern Virginia or in swing districts, I'm suddenly in love with. The Democrats had a lot of good candidates, most of them were moderate, who won purple in swing districts. So I personally think the Democrats, I mean, they should have idea. Obviously, they should run on their policies and so forth. But it, when the President of the United States Ultimately, this is going to be an election about Donald Trump. And the, and the Democratic nominee has to make a case that he or she can govern this country in a way that will bring it together as opposed to Donald Trump. I think that would uh, attract independent voters more than some really complex debate about exactly which version of Obamacare or Medicare for all is better. All right. Everyone stick around. Find out which Democratic candidates are going to be facing off against each other on the night of the next debates. Watch the draw for the CNN Democratic debates. That's this Thursday night at 8 o'clock Eastern. Then on July 30th and 31st, it's the CNN Democratic presidential debates. Ten candidates each night, moderated by Dana Bash, Don Lemon, and myself, live from Detroit, here on CNN. Coming up, the lavish stash found in a locked safe that has prosecutors worried that Jeffrey Epstein could try to skip bail. That's next. International lead now, cash, diamonds, and an expired Saudi passport, all removed from a safe inside the Manhattan mansion of accused sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein, according to prosecutors. In court today, the prosecution argued that the 66-year-old should be denied bail, citing the severity of the charges, the strong evidence against him, his wealth, and the fact that he seems a, quote, extreme flight risk. Prosecutors say the foreign passport had Epstein's photo, but a different name in it. Epstein's lawyers say he should be confined instead to his $77 million New York City mansion. A bail ruling is expected on Thursday. Joining me now is former federal prosecutor Elliot Williams to talk about this. Do you think, given what was discovered in the apartment and the nature of the crimes, that ultimately he's going to be denied bail? I think he should be denied bail. And to me, it seems like a slam dunk. The law says either if the person is a flight risk or a danger to the community, they should be denied bail. If a guy's got a Saudi passport, a private jet, an island in the Virgin, a home in the Virgin Islands or his own island or whatever, he's pretty clearly a flight risk. And if they're finding additional child pornography at his house, you can't really say he's not a danger to the community. So no matter, no matter how they cut it, he should be denied bail, I think. This and, let, and let's talk about that, because the, the prosecutor said in their sentencing memo uh, that they thought that they discovered what they thought to be a trove 
of child pornography and that one of the victim's lawyers confirmed that one of the images was of her when she was underage. But there hasn't been a charge. He has not been charged with child pornography. My understanding is that uh, we should probably expect that to happen because it's actually uh, a slam dunk kind of accusation. Yeah, sometimes these charges take a little while to build, and I would guess, I don't know, but I would guess the Southern District of New York prosecutors and FBI are trying to authenticate the image. Uh, clearly, you know who possessed it. You know it was him. But you just have to make sure that it's something you can charge as a crime. But I think they're building a case, and it carries an enormous penalty because often they stack the penalties on top of each other, each five-year mandatory minimum for the possession of some of these images. So if they bring the charges, he's definitely going to go away for a long time, I think. And one of the things that's so stunning about the, the con- contrasting the way that this case in the Southern District of New York by U.S. Attorney Jeff Berman uh, versus the way that former U.S. Attorney Alex Acosta, who resigned last week as a labor secretary, the way he did it, uh, Julie Brown, uh, the great reporter from the Miami Herald who broke a lot of this wide open, says that when the Palm Beach police back, you know, 10 years ago or whenever, went to Epstein's house, all the computers were gone which the interpretation was somebody had tipped him off, either uh, in uh, the Palm Beach State Attorney's Office, uh, Mr. Critcher, or the uh, local police, whatever. The computers were gone, and ultimately, U.S. Attorney Acosta and the FBI never got his computers during that investigation. Now, again, a lot of this is on Acosta, but let's not give the Palm Beach authorities a free pass. They screwed this up, too. But the number one rule in investigating anything is always get the computers, Jake. They've got the the calendars, the drafts of emails, the documents, and frankly, the evidence of the crime themselves. It's the first rule, and it is mind-boggling that they wouldn't have tried to at least uh, issue, uh, issue a subpoena for the computer or try to find it. It just seems something doesn't smell right here, uh, Jake. All right. Elliot Williams, thank you so much. Appreciate your expertise. The autopsy report just released in the mysterious death of a community activist found dead in the trunk of a car in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. The results of that, that's next. The greatness and learn about some of the history. And our money lead now, going nowhere fast. You better check your booking because thousands more flights have been canceled after the three U.S. airlines that use the Boeing 737 MAX jets, American Airlines, United, and Southwest, all announced in recent days that they do not expect the planes to be back in the air until late fall. The airlines are still waiting for the Federal Aviation Administration to approve a software fix and clear the plane for flying after those two deadly crashes in the span of five months that killed a total of 346 people. Our national lead now, we now know a beloved Louisiana community activist found dead in the trunk of a car was indeed killed. The Baton Rouge coroner just ruled that Sadie Roberts Joseph had been suffocated. Now police are asking for help in an investigation where they have, as of now, no suspect and no motive. Her body was found just three miles from her home, but police are not saying who owns the car where she was found. Roberts Joseph was a renowned leader in her community. On top of her well-known civil rights work in Louisiana, she opened the Odell S. Williams Now and Then African American Museum in her hometown and hosted an annual Juneteenth celebration. And breaking news now, in just minutes we expect four Democratic congresswomen to hold a press conference on Capitol Hill. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Tlaib, Ayanna Presley, and Ilhan Omar seem to be the targets of President Trump's racist Twitter attack over the weekend in which he suggested they go back to where they came from. All four are U.S. citizens, three born in the United States. Their response coming up. Follow me on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show show at the lead uh, CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. 
When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.